asking honest questions, searching without prejudice or preconceived ideas. In our culture, we've become too dependent on the authority argument. And what I mean by that is only the, that only the declarations made by experts have any credibility. Now, this isn't to say that we should completely disregard scholars in their fields of science, in the fields of medicine, business, uh, in law, or in the arts. But at the root of knowledge is the intention, the desire to search, the hunger to know, and, and not just to know, but understand the answers to the questions we have about life, about our purpose, and ultimately about truth. We can listen to the experts and to the scholars, but if we do it blindly, that's when true learning and the possibility of discovery is lost. The true expert is the one who always remains a student because he is always exploring. The expert who speaks from his own perch of authority does nothing except stand there and pontificate. The drive for discovery requires an explorer, an inquisitor, and we've already established that because the explorer never stops asking questions, never stops searching, and it's only then that we can find truth and understand it. Now, when we look at the world in its current condition, it, it bids us look for something better. And that's what most people are looking for. We're tired of the same old thing. We look for, for principles that bind us and that anchor us down. And we've discovered that these principles have come from an absolute source, uh, a ontological referent, something that we can all point to and say, that's true. It's self-evident. And so comes the issue of morality, choice, freedom, and God. And the question we've asked is, is God real? That's one of the most basic questions that most of us, that all of humanity has asked over time. Are we the product of design or chance? And I think we've pretty much established that the answer to that is, no, we're not. We're not the product of chance. We can't be. And if you're just finding this, this podcast and tuning in now, and this is your first time listening, look back at our previous episodes and catch up because there's a lot of great discussion, a lot of great points to review. And we know and we can be sure that we're not some product of random occurrence. If we are, then we have no inherent value since each of us has no other end except whatever hand is dealt to us by chance. Life and death are just a process that that happens for no reason, no rhythm or rhyme. And looking at human nature and how evil it can be, but also looking at how good 
it can be. We see that there are two opposing forces at work. Even if it's just the will to do good, it's a controversy within ourselves. These are choices that we make every single day, that we have to confront every day, honestly. What is it that drives us to do good or evil? And how does choice play a part in that process? Because of the cry of so many in the world for peace, for unity, for the, sense, for the senseless and mindless destruction and death that we experience that drives us to cry out, we then begin to wonder if there is something better than all of this. Is there something better than this reality? So we begin to look at these, at these systems that man has created over the years, each claiming to have the answers we're looking for. So we must ask the tough questions. Are they all right? Or is, or is there only one truth? History has shown us that the dominant religions of the world that have played a major role in shaping humanity are Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism. And we established that last episode. And from these, there are offshoots and divisions. But rather than looking at all of these, let's look just at these dominant five. And we have to do that. We have to look at these dominant five religions from their origins their teachings, their, their founders, and their stories. Starting with just the overall fundamental facts. Let's, let's take an honest look. Judaism. Now, Judaism has its origins in the person of Moses. Although one can really look or go as far back as Abraham. It's through Moses and the liberation of the Jews from slavery and then the law being given to the nation as a covenant binding them to each other and God that gives them a collective identity. Again, we're just looking at the very basic superficial facts that we can all agree on. So moving on to Christianity. Christianity has its roots in Judaism, interestingly enough. Christianity is itself a sort of offshoot from Judaism. So while Christianity has its roots in Judaism, it really begins with the birth, the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's born of a poor Jewish couple, in a stable, no less, and is really an, Ill an, an illegitimate child, since according to the biblical account, Mary, his mother, conceives outside of wedlock. Obviously, the claim is that Mary was somehow supernaturally impregnated with Jesus. In Palestinian culture, this would be an incredible obstacle for Mary and for Joseph, since this claim was dubious at best, and would have been a stain upon Mary and Joseph, and also upon Jesus himself. Moving on to Islam. Islam has its beginnings with the prophet Muhammad in the early 7th century. It's around the year 610 A.D. or C.E. that he receives his first vision. He's the son of Abdullah and Amina of the tribe of Quraysh, of the clan of Hashim. 
What makes this fact important, and one which Muhammad held as a position of distinction, was that this tribe was a guardian of what is, of what is known as the Kaaba, a very important sacred site. Now moving on to Hinduism. Hinduism is a product of various writers and cultures over several hundred years, so there really is no single founder. It's estimated to have developed between 2300 BC and 1500 BC through various periods of development. Now here, there really is no single deity or single power. There exists a list of major gods and minor gods. Among these are Krishna and Shiva, which represent beings with distinct characters. Now when you move on to Buddhism, Buddhism is really an offshoot of Hinduism since its origins relate directly to Gautama Buddha, who himself was a Hindu. Over time, through a process of several years, Buddha claimed to have become enlightened when he found himself meditating under a tree one night. So that enlightenment can be achieved by this process of meditation and by fulfilling and following what is known as the Four Noble Truths and the Noble Eightfold Path. Now, obviously there's much more to each of these systems of religion. There are various things which they share in common, one of which is that they all have survived and are practiced among the world's population today. Going back to the original question of this quest, what is truth? If they are all true, then we stop here. You choose, I choose, we all see each other at go and collect $200. But if all are true, how can this be a logical conclusion? That's like saying there are multiple impossible answers to 2 plus 2. Find one, choose it, and be happy with it. It's my truth. It's your truth. And that's the popular way of dealing with truth. Hashtag my truth. Problem solved. And we just live and let live. But does it really solve anything? I don't think it solves anything. It solves nothing. While the phrase, I believe, is a powerful phrase, it's a powerful set of words, it's not proof of anything, save that you yourself believe in whatever it is you claim to be true. But if that supposed truth doesn't stand on some fundamental principle that is undeniable by nature, that is universal and absolute, then it is based on nothing except perception a self-perception, and perception can itself be deceiving. Now, looking a bit more deeply into each of these systems of belief, one must not only look at its origins and history, but also its writings. For Judaism, it's the Torah. This is the law, as given by Yahweh or Jehovah. The laws of Moses, the prophets, and the kings. For Christianity, it's the Bible, which, interestingly, is made up of the Torah, the Law of Moses, Prophets, and the Kings, but then joined with them is what we know as the New Testament. 
which really becomes a fulfillment of the Old Testament. In Islam, the Quran is the basis of fundamental belief, as well as the Hadith, which is a collection of sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, which help inform Islamic tradition and its daily practice. In Hinduism, you find a vast network of writings. Combined, these writings cover various concepts and principles, such as mathematics, medicine, philosophy, religion, ethical codes, and science. Buddhism is similar in that it also covers a large volume of literature, although it deals more with the abstract and the mysterious containing specific rules for monks, uh, very specific prayers for particular circumstances, and scriptures which teach that the ultimate end is being emptied of everything that is real to us, what is referred to as nirvana, the state of emptiness and non-existence. It's really all very fascinating, each having a sense of sophistication, thought, practice, and, and each one offering an ultimate end of peace, salvation, enlightenment, and triumph. And these are all things that we aspire to and that today in our modern age are crying out for. So one could ask, what's wrong with any of it? And it's a good question. What negative characteristics do we find in each? But then it's also reasonable to ask, what's right with any of it? Each of these religions makes claims that provide believers a source by which they can search and find conviction that what they have chosen to believe is in fact true. I think then that it follows that we should look at these claims and see whether each claim stands to reason or not. That's reasonable. So let's take a look. In Islam, Muhammad is revered as the final and greatest prophet of Allah. He's called the seal of the prophets. In effect, his writings, anything he said, is true, without question, and cannot be refuted. Judaism looks to Jehovah as the one who gave the law on Mount Sinai to his chosen prophet Moses. This law produces identity to a newly born nation, and Moses becomes a greater leader who Jehovah uses to speak to his people on his behalf. Christianity claims to be the fulfillment of the law and the prophets of the Old Testament through the person of Jesus, who himself claims to be the Son of God. He claimed divinity while on earth and that God was his father, and that they were one. He's born as a human, 
is raised and lives as a human being, but also displays his power through miracles and signs which are supernatural. He dies a very public death and resurrects back to life after lying in a tomb for three days. He returns to heaven, where he claims he was sent from, and he returns as a triumphant king. Hinduism has a variety of writers and authors, but no single founder. The writings point to, to sages as sources of wisdom, of ethical codes, moral behavior, and religion. These sages were not divine, but human. They didn't claim divinity. Through intense meditation, one could achieve a state of supreme truth and knowledge. And in very similar fashion, Buddhism also looks to an enlightenment that can be achieved, but only as did Buddha, since he himself claimed to be the enlightened one. Looking to him and practicing his approach to enlightenment was the only way to attain this state of nirvana. Now, of all these claims by the founders themselves that are given in these writings, the only one that actually claims divinity is Jesus. And in fact, this one fact separates all of them. It distinguishes Christianity specifically. It's the most incredible claim made from among the others. And why is that? I mean, would you believe a man or a woman if they came to you and said, I'm the son of God or I'm the daughter of God? We would think him or her completely mad or delusional. Without doing any more research or looking deeper at the writings of each religion, we could completely disregard Jesus because who would make such a claim to be the son of God? At least, these other figures are human. They're not claiming to be supernatural, but pointing to another being or to a process that leads to the very things that we're all looking for. That's a, at, at least a bit more reasonable. One would suppose that. But without comparing them further, this is the most fantastical claim made by any of these figures. I am God. That's the claim made by Jesus. And what do you do with that? I mean, if any scientist were to stop looking or searching because what he or she might be seeing or theorizing was impossible to prove or describe, would any of the advances made in the last 100 years have been possible? I say, look further, look deeper. You can't just stop at this one claim, and then just dismiss it. Jesus represents a division in history, and it has so impacted the world, the whole globe, one cannot ignore it and just simply dismiss it. The era of history before him and the era of history after him, that's how we have divided history. From this one man comes a movement unlike any other. Just think of it. Today, in our modern world of technology and marketing, social media has become such a powerful platform 
in order to inform and share information, to report and raise awareness about any given topic that your heart desires. And within 24 hours, any one of a few hashtag campaigns or videos can explode literally overnight and create a new sensation. All you need is a smart device, Wi-Fi, some creative energy, a quick post and upload and boom, you can change the world. And that's really not oversimplifying it. That's the way it goes today. Just from the point of view of promotions and marketing, the momentum with which the movement Jesus started and took off from the beginning of his ministry to his death, to his resurrection, and only a very few short years later grew into a force to be reckoned with. Just think of it. it, it it's really outstanding. And he did it without any of the tools we have at our fingertips today. And let's not forget radio and television. There are only two possibilities one can conclude as a result of this phenomenon. It's the greatest dupe in history, or it is, in fact, the truth. If it's truth, then there's no reason not to accept it, because what Jesus purports to offer is all that humanity is crying out for now. Love, joy, healing, rest, and peace. And while the others claim to offer the same thing, his life and claim is the most extraordinary. Some of the greatest figures of our time who've made an incredible impact in society are Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, Gandhi, Nelson Mandela. They strove for reconciliation. They strove for a uniting of race, creed, and culture. They stood for the inherent value of all humanity. I find a statement made by Gandhi, who was a devout Hindu, a stark admission about Jesus himself. He's quoted as saying, quote, If it weren't for Christians, I'd be a Christian, unquote. Why? His initial comment started with, quote, I like your Christ. There's a lot there to unpack. But let's deal with his initial statement. I like your Christ. What's there to like about Jesus? Let's put aside the fact that he claims to be the Son of God. Let's look at his teachings and how he lived. Much about his childhood is really not known, simply because there's no historical documentation. What we do know about him starts around the age of about 30. 
and this is where the majority of a story is focused on, within the four books of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which make up the very beginning of the New Testament. In this story, he goes from town to town, healing the sick, giving hope to the hopeless, preaching things like, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. Or another, love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on to the fringes of society, the places where nobody would go. He even breaks with certain traditions of the Jewish temple, the religious authority, causing a division amongst the leaders in Jerusalem, which really was no small thing to do. He stands up for the downtrodden, visits the homes of the deviant, the unloved, lifts up the poor, feeds the hungry. His other teachings really are revolutionary. Just think of it. Listen to these things which most of you may be familiar with. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who cry, who mourn. Blessed are the humble, the meek. Blessed are those who are insulted and who are falsely accused. He even goes as far as to say this, Love your enemies. Do good to those who are not good to you. That's a tough one. He defends the weak. He advocates for love, unity, peace, brotherhood, and freedom of the captives. Now, would anyone be against any of these things? Isn't that what we're all crying out for today? We just want the madness to stop. How many dead have we experienced in just in the last few months here at home from senseless killing? I'll take a chance and say I think we would all agree that all these things, all these teachings, the way that Jesus lived is a good thing. Now, where his message becomes even more revolutionary and unique is when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When he was asked if he was the Son of God, his answer leaves you speechless. It, it leaves his listeners speechless. He says, I am. And then he goes on to say, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God, coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What do you do with that? Everything else up to this point, loving your enemies, although that's a difficult one. Let's admit it. Let's go with the easier one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be a peacemaker. Do good. Be, be humble. 
do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Okay, I mean, those things, wow, what a better world it would be if we would actually live this, all of us, consistently. But then when it comes to, are you the Son of God? And he says, I am, and you're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God, coming in the clouds of heaven with power and glory. That's when we stop and we think about it twice. And then he also says, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. My kingdom is not of this world. I came into the world to give witness to what is true. And anyone who listens to the truth listens to me. Then he goes on to say this, in my father's house, there are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you there. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me so that you may also be where I am. And again, what do you, what does one do with that? Here's someone who does all of this good, who's the very essence of love, of purity and grace, of kindness, of real service, all the things we admire in others today. But when it comes to these out of, out of the world, out of this world claims that he makes, that's where a lot of people stop listening. Why? It's because it's too good to be true. Sure. We're so used to the madness, the division, the corruption, the evil. And, and, and with social media, it's desensitized us even more. Think about it. We, we scroll down our own accounts to look at our own feeds and we'll join a few um a, a few uh posts that we see and we'll like them and we'll react or we'll comment but most of the stuff that we just can't stand anymore all the division all that we scroll we we just scroll through it because we've become so desensitized to it and then we go back to Jesus and, 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 and his teachings. He, he did something about all of these things, the division, the corruption, the evil. He did something about that in his own life. He devoted himself to serving others. He didn't just talk the talk, right? What we're all tired about. You know, you can put a hashtag up and it's all good. But a hashtag is just talk. It's just speak. Just words. When you look at someone like Martin Luther King or Gandhi or Nelson Mandela or Mother Teresa, they didn't just speak it. They lived it. And that's why we respect them and we hold them up as an ideal for us to be able to live and to practice in our own lives. Well, Jesus did this very thing. He devoted himself to, 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 to serving others. And you can't really argue with that because he didn't just speak it, he lived it. So then we can say he was the real deal. And by the way, let's not forget that he was unjustly charged and sentenced to death. He willingly goes to that death as part of his mission. He sees that what he is doing as dying for those he loved 
and came to save. He was willing to put his own life where his message was. And such was his influence and his impact that 2,000 years later, Christianity exploded to become one of the greatest movements in history. And today, it's still relevant in society. It's still making an impact in communities the world over, in education, the medical field, humanitarian work, in science, the arts, and it's global. So with these facts, what do we do? If on the one hand, he did all of this good and made such an enormous impact with what he said and how he lived, could his claims of him being who he said he was also be true? We have to consider it. Remember that out of these six world religions, Jesus is the only one who makes this claim of divinity. And while the other founders live and die and are buried, as does Jesus, he also dies and he's buried. Here's also another very important distinction. Jesus rises from the dead. Now, this one, yeah, that's, that's a big pill to swallow. And by the way, this is the one event that Christianity hangs on. Because if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, this whole thing that's been going on for 2,000 plus years falls apart. It's done. Because Christianity does not only teach all of the other feel-good stuff. It also teaches that Jesus is not dead. And not only that he resurrected, but that he's coming again. Jesus himself says that several times, I am coming soon. There's to be another Advent. It's not just the one that we celebrate every year at Christmas time. But if he's dead, then all of it is just one of the greatest illusions of history. It's just a simple adventure story. With the other religions and founders, the system does not require their divinity or resurrection because they make no such claims. It's simply about following what they did and finally achieving some form of evolution or even an apotheosis, finding the divine in ourselves and reaching, by our own efforts, this grand end of the world, or not even an end of the world, but a transformative uh, uh, process that leads to peace, nirvana, and this ultimate enlightenment. Now, if we're going to be intellectually honest, we can't just dismiss all of this because we think it's all some pie-in-the-sky fantasy. Each of us lives an average of about 70 to 80 years on this planet. We're here for just a small fragment of the countless ages that the universe has been in existence. We've broken the sound barrier, gone to the moon, and now making plans to visit Mars like it was just an everyday run-of-the-mill trip. 
We're on the verge of making AI a reality. Discovered, we, we, we've discovered other worlds in our solar system and beyond. And we're still trying to figure out the exact circumstances of our origins and yet can be perfectly comfortable saying, yeah, that Jesus stuff, that's impossible. And then we can turn around and go our own way. But this merits some more looking into. Like any theory or great discovery made by science. And the courage of a determined few against all odds to prove that it can be done. That it is true after all. And then keep on searching. Keep on asking. If curiosity and imagination have been the fuel for exploration, innovation, and invention of such grand discovery, if this Jesus can make such an impact in the world, then we have to dig deeper. Because if it is true, then we, we will have missed the greatest discovery of all. The truth about you and the truth about me. The truth that all of this, what we see happening in our world on a daily basis, the loss, the death, the pain, the cruelty, the, the division, the indifference, this constant barrage of being at each other's throats for things that really, in the end, are trifles. But we're all, we're all tired of it. We, we, we've said enough. Well, again, if this, is, if this is to be true, if this Jesus who came, who was willing to give his own life to save us and to give us an opportunity to get out of all this mess and then be able to live in a world that's recreated, where there's no death, no pain, no suffering, you know, that's worth taking a chance on. That's worth taking a deeper look into. Because Jesus leaves and ascends back to heaven within this narrative, within this story, and says, I'm coming back again. I'm not just leaving you. I'm coming back again. There's a lot of questions and a lot, a lot of, um, a lot of answers that need to be sought out. Well, that's why we're here to search, to be the inquisitors, to keep on looking, no matter what authority, science, the intellectuals might say. And what they might say, what they would say is, we know better. But do they? Is it possible for us to find truth without these degrees, these high degrees of sophistication? Is it possible? Yes, it is. And all it takes is an open mind and an open heart and be willing to look, to keep on looking. And so we're going to keep on looking together because you see the truth. If it is this good, then it's worth finding.